Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of Political State from the Oklahoman here in the Oklahoman Video Studios. I'm Ben Felder. Joining me, the Political State crew, is Justin Wingeter, federal reporter, Dale Denwalt, Capitol reporter. And uh, guys, a big election week. We've been talking about the elections, what to expect for months now, and we finally have uh, results from, these, uh, from the primary, a state question, some congressional races as well. Uh, let's get into that, and let's start with, uh, I mean, I don't know, depending on who you ask, it depends on what the biggest issue was. There was a state question, but let's start with the governor's race. I think um, we've talked most about that on previous shows, particularly on the GOP side. Uh, several candidates, there was the top three, Lieutenant Governor Todd Lamb, former Oklahoma City Mayor Mick Cornett, Tulsa businessman Kevin Stitt, and that the, that group of three got whittled down to two, Cornett and Stitt. Any surprises there? Uh, yeah, it was kind of a surprise. Uh, we, we all knew that you know someone had to go home at the end of the night um, uh, upset that they didn't get into the runoff, but um, hard, I think hardly anyone would have expected that it would be Todd Lamb. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was the, the front runner. He's been the front runner for a couple of years and assumed to be the, uh, the governor in waiting, uh, or at least the Republican nominee for governor in waiting. Uh, but Kevin Stitt entered the race, Mick Cornett entered the race, um, and they battled it out, you know, up and down I 44 between here and Tulsa and managed to pick up um, the most votes uh, out of uh, any of the governor candidates. Yeah, and you say, you know, the front runner for the last several years. I mean, he was the you know, the first name that was mentioned. That's right. Uh, you know, years out from this race as a candidate for governor, and you know, nobody thought that it was a guarantee that he would ultimately become the next governor. But you know, you got to win the primary, you got to win an expected runoff, and then a general. Um, but I don't think we expected him to stumble on that first test. And you're right, it was a competitive race. If you look at the map, I mean, Cornette did really well against the, around the Oklahoma City metro. Uh, Kevin did well around Tulsa. Was it just was he just left without a urban base? <laughs> it seems to be that way. Someone pointed out the fact that if you look at the map uh, of uh, Lamb votes, Cornette votes, and Stitt votes, it kind of looks like the area code map mm-hmm. uh, uh, in the state of Oklahoma. 405 went for Mick Cornette. 918, uh, in, at least in the Tulsa area, went for Kevin Stitt. And then Todd Lamb managed to pick up the rest of the counties, which unfortunately not, not, not a lot of people live in those. Yeah. Well, I mean... Not and, enough. And maybe, but maybe we shouldn't be surprised, right? Because Lamb, out of all the candidates, was the quote-unquote kind of political insider. In a year and a time when there's a lot of frustration towards state government, uh, you know, we'll get into it a little bit later, incumbents that are, you know, that were knocked out in the primaries. Maybe it shouldn't be a surprise that the guy that's most closely connected with the Capitol is the one that voters decided, at least in the Republican primary, that they didn't want to see go through. That's right. You know, thousands of people, you you can't read their minds, but that has to be a play in in at least a lot of them. Um, You've got Todd Lamb, who's been uh, a public figure for... um, Eight, the last eight years as lieutenant governor, and before that as a state senator, uh, he's had he has a ma- he had a massive war chest going into mm-hmm. this election, a lot of political connections. He even had Donald Trump Jr. come to Oklahoma to uh, to stump for him, but in the end, it wasn't enough. Yeah. Well, I'm curious, Justin, what do you think going forward here? Now we've got you know Stitt and Cornette, an August 28th runoff. Um, I mean, I think this is going to be a, a you know a pretty contentious battle. I mean, I don't know how ugly it'll get, but it's going to be. I mean, I think a lot of people are expecting so far that it's going to be a pretty close race. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that map because it is fascinating to look at, and it's fascinating going forward too, because you have the urban areas, but who gets the rest of that? Mm-hmm. That's organization. That takes structure. That takes you know the ability to have the whatever, the call banks, the phone banks, you know, the mailers, whatever it takes to get out there, because you're going to have to travel. You're going to have to meet people in the cafes and the coffee shops and whatever, uh, the churches, because 
and when you get in that rural area, it is tough to campaign and reach a lot of people in a day. Mm-hmm. And so that will be interesting. You have two more or less city boys in uh, Cornette and Stitt there, yeah. you know, in, in Oklahoma City and Tulsa, respectively. And then the rest of the state's kind of up for grabs between them. So they're really going to have to travel. And uh, that will be interesting to see what they do to reach the, the rural voters. You know, a Republican primary in Oklahoma is very conservative. A Republican primary runoff probably gets a notch or two more conservative. Yes. Um, I mean, Stitt seems to be the most conservative between the two. Uh, Cornette is always kind of pegged as more of a moderate. Um, I mean, do you feel like Stitt maybe has the advantage so far going into that? I mean, just given what we are expecting the, the voter demographics to be. I would think so. I would probably give him a slight edge at this point. I'm curious what Todd Lamb will do, if anything. Mm-hmm. Who is he, if he endorses anybody? An endorsement or? would be enormous, but I don't know if he'll, he'll go that route or not. Well, the rest of the field, for I mean, Cornette was the most close, was the, was the furthest left of all the candidates. I think we probably all agree on that, right? right. So, or Gary Jones. Or, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's a good point. So you have Cornette and, and Gary Jones. Um, but So when you look at the rest of the field, minus maybe Gary Jones, you're looking at the rest of the field that's more conservative than Cornette. And I think you talk about where will Lamb go, but where will the voters for Lamb and the rest of the field go? Yeah. Because if you're, you know, Dan Fisher, who actually picked up a county in southeast Oklahoma, um, you know, ran on, you know, abolishing abortion, um, Cornette has, refers to himself as pro-life. Um, but hasn't been as forceful as Stitt has been in terms of saying, you know, I'm going to appoint pro-life judges to the court. I'm going to work to abolish uh, abortion. I mean, if you're a, if you're a voter of Fisher and you look at the two candidates, and you know, an abortion or other social issues is the most important thing to you. I got to think that Stitt is probably more appealing at this point. That's right, and it comes down to uh, how enthusiastic Mick Cornett voters are going to be in Oklahoma County, Cleveland County, the area. Uh, if if the, if he can manage to hold on to some of these voters who voted for him in this 405 area code, uh, then he stands a really good chance of beating Kevin Stitt. Uh, he still has to pick up those rural areas, and I, I like what you said about the infrastructure of his campaign. Um, that, you know, there's July 4th weekend coming up. There's probably some county fairs um, uh, coming up uh, this summer uh, uh, over the next couple of months. If you you expect to see governor candidates at these things not necessarily the candidates themselves but the Mm -hmm. the campaign will have a booth with at least one volunteer they got the t-shirt on they got signs out they have uh, push cards they've got stickers whatever Um, you have to have that kind of outreach uh, in the four corners of the state uh, to be able to run a a successful campaign not just in the primary but especially in the general yeah and I I assume that you know any any candidate who's made that made it this far has some kind of an infrastructure like that so it remains to be seen well you you know when you're talking when you're listing all the things that make for a successful you know organization and running a statewide mm-hmm. campaign i'm still thinking about todd lamb i mean that he was you know he right. you know he had, he had run a statewide campaign before he's you know he liked to boast at how much he had traveled across the state every county um you know had a team in place that knew what they were doing um you know not to say that the other two didn't but i mean organization does take you a long way but only so far maybe at the end of the day right that's right and and some of the lame people may uh decide to start working for the uh, gubernatorial nominee uh, for the Republicans and once once we decide or even now they may uh, since they find themselves out of a job they may decide to go work for either Cornette or Stitt. Yeah well, we've talked mostly about the Republican primary for governor um, because on the Democratic side Drew Edmondson 
it, you know, from the very beginning, seemed like he was a shoe in to win this one. You know, even without even really trying in terms of like advertising and spending a lot of money, he he did. And of course, as we get closer to November, we'll talk about his chances in general. We still need to find out who that final candidate is going to be for the Republicans. But I'm curious, if you're Drew Evanson, who do you think he's he's rooting for to win? Uh, the Republican primary in terms of who he thinks he may have the best chance against. I think he'd probably like to go against uh, someone like Kevin Stitt uh, because you can define yourself. Uh, Drew Edmondson can cast himself so so much differently from Kevin Stitt than he can Mick Cornette. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I would, I would agree. agree. Yeah, you agree yeah, with that, Justin? Definitely. Absolutely. I mean, I have heard some Democrats say that they like Cornette. Sure. I don't know that I've ever heard any Democrats say they like Stitt. I mean, your blue dog Democrats, real, you know, they're still registered Democrats in some of the most conservative parts of the state. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure Stitt's going to get Democratic votes if he emerges onto the general. I don't mean that, but I mean your urban Democrats, uh, you know, your kind of pro- progressive millennials. I've heard some say, I like Cornette. I'm, I'd be willing to support Cornette. So I think you're right. I mean, if it's Edmondson versus Cornette, you know, there's, he's probably, you know, Edmondson may lose some votes against Cornette that, he, right. that he would that he'd pick up if it was against it. So let's go down uh, the ballot a little bit to the legislature. Um, this was a big night because we saw um, several incumbents lose. Um, you know, we've talked about it before, you know, in past elections, it's rare that you even see one incumbent lose, you know, let alone how many do we have on election night? Five. Five. Uh, five plus five. the Senate. Yeah, yeah five six. in the House, one in the, uh, one in the Senate. Um, I mean, we talked about the voter frustration. Was this surprising to see? It wasn't surprising. I, I predicted that some incumbents would lose. Obviously, I didn't know the number, but I thought it would be, you know, more than one or two. Um, we, uh, uh, you know, there's going to be six legislators not returning because voters picked somebody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also know that there are ten legislators still fighting for their jobs uh, with the runoff. Um, in uh, on August 28th, uh, and so really, it, it wasn't a surprise, and it was really, I think, a, a Republican revolt of uh, of lawmakers. Now, it, it would have been uh, surprising if voters uh, voted against the Republicans who raised taxes on them, mm-hmm. like if, they, if that was a consideration. But in my reporting, I found that um, about half of the ones who were either voted out or uh, going to a runoff were among those who, who didn't vote for the taxing uh, increase. So you've got uh, legislators who did vote for the pay for the teacher pay, mm-hmm. but who didn't vote for the tax increase. And I was talking to another leg- legislator who said you can't have both. Mm-hmm. You know, and primary voters are smarter than that. You can't say that you're for teacher pay and then vote against the the way that you're going to. Uh, pay for that salary increase. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that may have had a lot to do with it. Yeah. You know, Justin, if I were to ask you a year ago, about a year ago you came here, but you were in Kansas, so a pretty similar political landscape in a lot of ways, that there was going to be a wave of Republican uh, lawmakers lose their primary, incumbents lose their primary because they refuse to wait, raise taxes. I mean, that is a <laughs> yeah. pretty bizarre uh, thing to think about. We've talked about it on the show so many times, what an unusual change this has been uh, in the state. and. Senate District 40 to me was the shock of the evening. In some ways, I guess the lamb lamb losing is kind of, Mm -hmm. it's on a larger scale. So it's a shock for that reason. But Senator Yen losing in Senate District 40, which I happen to live in, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe that's why I'm a little biased there, but I thought that was uh, more surprising than anything. We had talked about that district in terms of who will the Democrat be? There's a very tight Democratic Mm -hmm. primary there. And hopes that, um, you know, Democrats have hopes that they can flip that seed. I don't think there was much talk about Senator Yen losing his 
And if I recall, it was not exactly a close no. loss. No, uh, Joe Howe, a, a vastly more conservative candidate than, right. than Yen. I mean, so this is a race where voters in the Republican primary, you know, picked a more conservative person um, to be their nominee. You know, Carrie Hicks, who won the Democratic nomination, a teacher, uh, you know, I talked to her the day after the election, and I was asking, like, well, do you feel like, how do your chances change now that you're not going up against an incumbent? Uh, in November, and you know, she was saying, "I don't know. We're still trying to get our, our head around that because we, since day one, assumed we'd be running against uh, Senator Yen. So yeah. it definitely changes things in that, and you know, probably makes. I, I would imagine maybe gives the Democrats an even better chance, right? I mean, this is a this is a moderate district or trending towards a moderate. Now you've got an even more conservative candidate from the Republicans, you know, going up against a you know battle tested now. Uh, public school teacher. Hmm. Yeah, it, it's it's obvious that Senator Yen didn't have a lot of support among Republicans in his House district. Um, and if he was hoping to hold on to some moderate, independent, and maybe even a few Democratic votes heading into the general, um, you know, some of those may decide that Joe Howell isn't the person for them mm-hmm. and decide to go um, uh, to, the, to the Democrats. So, uh, uh, again, that, without a crystal ball, it's hard to say, but I, I think that... Um, there's probably some anxiety on the part of uh, Democrats in this race um, uh, and working on this race because, you know, who is Joe, Joe, Joe Howell? Um, what's his background? Have you done any research, opposition research on him? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They don't know who he is. The voters don't know who he is. It would have been easier to paint Yen as being, you know, an incumbent, which he was, obviously, and a Republican and in a district that's trending. So it would have been very easy for Kerry Hicks to say, we know who Senator Yen is, this Republican. Mm-hmm. We need to get a Democrat in there, et cetera. It's a little harder with someone <laughs> who's kind of unknown. So they have to uh, play catch up a little bit, as Dale was talking about there. It, you would think ideologically it does make sense that it gets easier for Democrats now, but there are some complications mm-hmm. in there, too. It's not. Well, yeah, and you got to figure out how did he win. I mean, was this just a, you know, were Republicans yeah. just tired of their incumbent? Did he have a pocket of support somewhere in the Senate? I mean, you know, when you talk about these House and Senate races, now, once again, Howe won by quite a big margin, but sometimes in these you know, close upsets, you know, the winner, you find out, well, you know, maybe they belong to a church that had a pretty, you know, uh, kind of an energized base, you know, there, or maybe he works at a, at a business in the, I mean, sometimes they have these pockets of support that can really make a big difference, especially when there's low turnout elections, but we didn't see that this year. We no. saw pretty high turnout. It was amazingly high turnout. Yeah. Uh, I think even more than the uh, presidential primary four years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So voters engaged, and I want to go back to something you said. You said, you know, voters are, are smart. And I think sometimes we, you know, people don't, you know, make that assumption about the electorate. Um, but when, we, when it comes to a lot of these candidates who are these incumbents who said, "I'm not raising taxes. That's not what I, my people in my district want." Well, a lot of those were wrong. They, they didn't make the best judgment of their constituents. Maybe it wasn't the constituents that they were trying to keep happy. Um, but it also goes to show you that yes, this is a very nothing's changed. This is an anti-tax state. <laughs> I mean, we're, we've talked about it before. Oklahoma is not going down the road of becoming a tax and spend uh, state anytime soon. But the voters. I think showed that like yes we don't want to see our taxes raised but when when push comes to shove and we're facing a crisis and you know people can disagree with this but it, for most people will probably say that what we saw in education this year was a full-blown crisis especially with the teacher walkout that even the most conservative uh, voters said you know what at some times you do have to bite the bullet and you have to make some investments and some lawmakers I guess didn't uh, didn't go along with that and cost them their jobs that's right and, and I think people will start to sort of uh, forget the attitude as the, the further down the road we go. Um, and, you know, Oklahoma is not a tax-raising state for the most part. 
is I, and I think it's an isolated incident. And if you have candidates talking about raising taxes next year, they're going to get voted out of office. Yeah, no, I would I would definitely agree with that. Well, let's. Uh, we had some congressional races first, but let's first talk about the state question. That was another big one, too. Medical marijuana passed by quite a big margin. Uh, so medical marijuana will become um, you know, legal here in Oklahoma in a matter of a couple months, maybe a little bit longer. Um, so now we have to wait on state government to actually determine what this is going to look like. Bureaucracy is slow. And, um, <laughs> if, if people were, uh, yeah, I know that supporters of medical marijuana have been waiting a long time. Uh, number one, to actually get on the ballot, mm -hmm. and number two, for the actual election to take place. And now they're going to have to wait um, even a little bit longer to actually um, be able to use uh, this uh, new industry that's going to crop up in Oklahoma um, because we went from illegal to legal overnight. Um, there wasn't a whole lot that business could do to prepare, mm -hmm. right? Um, someone wasn't uh, growing... Uh, Marijuana in their in their backyard Not or in a greenhouse before uh, you know with the hopes that it would they, that they could put it in their shop because there's so much that's going to be uh, checked between mm -hmm. from the seeds all the way to the plant to the retailer it's all got to be run through the Bureau of Narcotics State Department of Health all that stuff it's going to be watched closely and so basically you started you know this you start this week um, or as soon as the uh, the licenses come out. And uh, it's going to take a little bit, maybe as much as 12 months, uh, could be three months. But um, uh, it's going to take just a little bit of time to get the infrastructure in place, businesses set up, warehouses filled, plants to start growing before you can actually sell it. Yeah. Well, all the talk before the election was that if this passes, the legislature has to has, gonna, has to come back with for a special session to write some of these, you know, regulations and such. Now we're hearing that maybe they don't come back for yeah, a special session. Apparently, you know, there's not a whole lot. Maybe the legislature wants to do. Um, they've got ten of their uh, Republican members in a runoff, headed uh, uh, to a runoff uh, August the 28th, and they may not want to um, endanger them by putting them in a special session where a lot of things can happen. Um, they could also, you know, just realize that the State Department of Health has come up with a lengthy list of new regulations. Maybe that covers all or most of it. Um, maybe the, the really critical stuff uh, is covered in these new rules and everything else can wait a few months until February when they come back in regular session. It seemed like, you know, Maybe one of the reasons why the threat of a special session was there was because the opposition the opponents to this question kept saying, you know, it's kind of the wild west with medical marijuana. We've never seen a liberal medical marijuana, uh, you know, question like this, and so it was easy to say, well, we're, lawmakers are going to have to come back and, and you know tighten things up and that kind of thing. But once we get on the other side of it, as you as you say, you know, maybe lawmakers are saying, hey, maybe us meeting in the Capitol is not the best thing, especially in election year. It's kind of risky. It's kind of like that old adage of you know, what you pass or run. Well, if you pass the ball, two out of three outcomes can be bad for you. Interception and incomplete pass. You know, maybe maybe the you know leadership are thinking, you know, this may not be good for us. But you know, like you said, going into those runoffs, and who knows, maybe the legislature gathers. We, I maybe mean, I think we assume that maybe most of the Republican legislature was against this. I don't know if that's true or not. But maybe you have a group that wants to really regulate this to a point where it almost makes it, you know, impossible. And that's now going against the will of the people, and then you're going in an election year, and it just becomes a messy thing. So, um, it's you know, meeting at the Capitol for the legislature is, is is no guarantee of what's going to happen. And and you you have a stable of Democrats uh, uh, who are 
uh, who would probably vigorously vote against and debate against any change to the law as it is now. Mm-hmm. If, if you give those, those Democrats a vote, they're probably going to vote against it. Um, for the most part, I think the Democratic caucus, uh, at least in the House, uh, support the state question as it is uh, with the regulations coming from the State Department of Health. And if you, if you give them a chance, if you give the minority a chance to open their mouths, they're going to open it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially going into an election year. Uh, mm-hmm. They're trying to take advantage of anything that they so can. They're not do, so. passing. Are they running the ball? Or are they taking a knee? <laughs> I wasn't sure where you're going there. Well, just I picture that, halfback it's just, Charles it's just a McCall risky. running for two yards. I don't and think then, you're taking a knee, but just because it's a clean run up the middle. Like, let's just, you don't you want know, to tackle whatever. Charles McCall. Whatever, yeah. whatever. <laughs> we saw that we all, we saw a near tackle of McCall right earlier yeah. this year. Um, <laughs> But uh, but yeah, I just feel like if you're the legislature, you're thinking you know there's a lot of re- there's a lot of reasons why there are a lot of bad outcomes. Like if you think of all the scenarios of a special session, um, and let's say you come up with ten outcomes, seven of them won't be good right. for the Republicans. Three might. So it's like, do you want to you want to roll the dice on that? I just it does, I, mean, I mean they still may be in a special session. There's just talk that they might not, and we'll see what the health department rules look like and, and that kind of thing. But I think you know when you saw such a wide margin of victory, I mean this is a mandate. People want this. There's going to be you know I, I think there's going to be a lot of resistance if the legislature tried to come back and 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 rein in uh, what the people approved with state question 788. So well, we'll just have to have to wait and see there. And then also let's before we in uh, this episode um, let's talk about the congressional races. It was primary for them as well and a lot of interest, especially on the Democratic side in the 5th Congressional District. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, as we talked on election night, Kendra Horn obviously having a good night but failing to reach the, that 50 plus one. Um, I was skeptical of her ability to do it anyway. I mean, sits candidates. Um, many have been running for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Many had a pretty strong base. Even if they're the, you know, it's Elizabeth Britt or Ed Porter getting 11, 12, 13 percent that chips away at your your ability to get 50 plus one. So, and your uh, Kinderhorn falls short there. You know, one interesting number if you're a Democrat um, is that more people voted in the Democratic primary in CD5 than the Republican primary. Obviously, as our listeners know, there are two caveats there: Demo- or independents rather can vote mm-hmm. in the Democratic primary and not in the Republican. Also, the Republican race was not competitive. Congressman Russell cruised a re-election that was never really in doubt. So without a runoff. So there were a couple caveats there, but nonetheless, if you're a Democrat trying to get excited about this race, believing this uh, seat can flip, as we've argued that it can here, then I, I think you get excited that um, Democrats outnumbered Republicans voting in the primary on Tuesday night. Yeah, and one of the focuses on this, in this race is that this district seems like the one that Democrats can win at some point, maybe not this year, maybe not the next cycle, but at some point the demographics are going to shift. You know, if you go back, I believe this is, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but during Obama's election, um, his two his two elections, um, the Democratic candidate in CD5 did worse than Obama did on the ballot. So that means you have people who voted for Obama in CD5 um, 2008 and in 2012, I think that's right, um, who did not vote for the Democratic candidate for Congress. And usually you would want the presidential nominee to kind of be the baseline of your support and build on that. Right. Um, and so that, there's a lot of reasons for that. Maybe you know there weren't as strong candidates that were running in CD5 for the Democrats. Um, but if you have a strong candidate going, um, I just feel like the gap between where Democrats have been and where they need to be is not as big as people may think. I mean, when you kind of look at that. Now, yeah. I'm not predicting that they're going to win this one. Um, you know, I think 
there's going there's a lot of you know we'll see what the national conversation looks like when we get into November. Now you know Horn has to still kind of focus on a runoff instead of immediately turning your attention to Russell. Although she has said as much that now she's running against Russell for the most part, right? I think she's always kind of run this as if she's in the general election. I mean, she really feels first of all some things are not all that different. I mean, getting your name out there, going door to door, doing the flyers, the mailers, whatever. That's stuff you'd be doing regardless of who you're running against. I mean, it's just basic getting your name and platform out there. But you're focusing on Democratic voters until you win that nomination as opposed to sure. the electorate as a whole, yeah. right? Right. But, um, I mean, I, I just don't see a lot of differences there. But, yeah, it, Democrats did miss an opportunity to coalesce around one candidate and set up a five-month, you know, one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. against Russell. Um, that's just because there were so many of them, frankly. I mean, six candidates, it was just so difficult. But, I mean, nonetheless, I mean, Horn, I think, goes into the runoff as a, a favorite. She did pretty well Tuesday mm -hmm. night, um, short of 50 plus one, but certainly had a good night. So she goes into the runoff um, as a favorite. Um, if she can get past that, then she just should be able to uh, be pretty well suited to go against Russell one-on-one. -on -one. Um, but yeah, I mean, the congressman gets to go straight into general election mode, and uh, Kendra Horn does not. She still has the runoff. So we'll see what happens. But, yeah. Uh, and that not really too many surprises, right, across the uh, congressional races here in Oklahoma? No, I mean, Democrats outnumbering Republicans also happened in the 2nd District, which is a very different district. Uh, this happens pretty often because that's a, a place where Democrats used to pretty much own the place in eastern Oklahoma out there. And uh, that has changed, obviously, Mark Wayne Mullins District. Um, but it, uh, it, it's, a, it's kind of an odd district in terms of Democrats still you know, have more registered voters than Republicans. Um, so... That one will be a race to keep an eye on. Uh, I was really watching the Republican side on Tuesday night, whether or not Mullen could avoid a runoff. Uh, he would not have wanted a dreaded runoff against a more conservative candidate, which almost certainly would have happened. Um, but he was able to avoid that, even against three challengers. So, uh, you know, Tom, or, uh, former Senator Coburn had, had backed one of his challengers. There was some conservative frustration towards Mullen. Uh, he broke a term limit pledge. Um, and that was really the gist of the frustration. But he was nonetheless able to skip a runoff, and he should be well suited to uh, most likely face Tahlequah Mayor uh, yeah. Jason Nichols. Yeah. Uh, well, you mentioned Coburn. I, I, I mean, in some ways, this represents this election has represented kind of you know solidifying the past, past changing of the guard a little bit, kind of in politics, or at least some groups, some individuals that used to have a lot of power, not maybe not being quite as powerful. I mean, Coburn. You know his candidate not making it through his effort to repeal the tax increases that funded teacher right. pay raise is not going through a lot of the kind of establishment businesses um, that uh, you know get involved in politics put their support behind lamb I mean so I mean I'm not saying that it's completely shifted but you know you know some of the individuals some of the groups and organizations that have traditionally had a lot of power in politics and, and kind of picked the winners uh, you know weren't quite as successful and that now. includes uh, the Oklahoma pain to handle uh, the uh, uh, representative, uh, the House seat out there, Colton Buckley was endorsed by Tom Coburn, came in third. Hmm. Yeah, so uh, was that, was, did yeah, it? rough couple of weeks for Tom Coburn, rough couple of weeks for um, Pat McFerrin, Republican strategist here in Oklahoma City, who doesn't miss many. But mm -hmm. we have to get him on and ask him about it. Yeah, well, that sounded like a challenge there. So, Pat, if you're listening, <laughs> Pat, we'll bring you on. on. We'll, we'll ask you about we'll ask you about the elections uh, and uh, which thing going forward. So. Uh, well, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Political State from the Oklahoma. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back for another episode next Friday and continue to cover as we run up to the runoff elections on August 28th. With Justin and Dale, I'm Ben. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next week.